Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of the Crime Time Podcast. Thank you so much for all your support for the podcast, it really means a lot to me. If you're new, welcome and I hope you enjoy your first episodes. Please also check out the first two episodes when you get the chance. This week's episode explores a twisting and thought-provoking case from 1993. It features murder, satanic rituals and a desperate search for the killer. This is the case of the West Memphis Three Murders. May 5th, 1993, proved to be a day that would change the city of West Memphis, Arkansas forever. Three eight-year-old boys, Steve Branch, Michael Moore and Christopher Byers were brutally murdered. The boys were best friends and were members of the Cub Scouts. They were just normal young boys who would play around outside. However, at around 7pm on May the 5th, they had still not returned home. Christopher Byers' adoptive father, John Byers, called the police as he knew something was wrong. The police did respond fairly quickly and the search was carried out that night, but unfortunately it did not turn up anything significant. The families and friends of the boys also joined the search, but it was not a successful night. Police began speaking to locals for any information about the whereabouts of the boys, and three neighbours confirmed they had seen the boys playing together at around 6.30pm and also seeing Terry Hobbs, Steve Branch's stepfather, calling to them to come home. However, this is the last time the boys were seen alive. The next day, on May the 6th, the Crittenden County Search and Rescue Department carried out a more detailed search that was made easier by the daylight. At this point, I can't even begin to imagine the fear and helplessness that the parents must have been feeling. They joined the search and a shoulder-to-shoulder human chain search was carried out of the Robin Hood Hills, which is where the boys were last seen. Besides searching for hours, the search was not finding anything of note to suggest the boys were even there. However, at 1.45pm on the 6th, the case takes a turn when rookie officer Steve Jones finds a boy's black shoe floating in a muddy creek. This leads the police to take action and they drain the canal in Robin Hood Hills. Once drained, the search party examine the area around where the shoe was found closely and there in the ditch they find the bodies of the three young boys. What makes this case stand out so much is the manner in which these young boys had been killed. All of them had been stripped naked and their hands and feet hog-tied together behind their backs. The killer had used the boys' own shoelaces to tie them up. To dispose of their clothing, the killer had tied up around sticks and threw it to the bottom of the creek. Christopher Byers in particular suffered horrible injuries, with several lacerations all over his body, including to his genitals. Steve Branch and Michael Moore also had multiple lacerations and beatings over their body. The pathologist who carried out the autopsy noted that Christopher was already dead before he was thrown into the water, and that while Steve and Michael were badly beaten, it was ultimately drowning that led to their deaths. 
The attacks on the boys were barbaric and vicious, and shocked the city of West Memphis. The families were distraught and would never be the same again. The police now began their murder investigation. Early on in the investigation, two officers investigating the case, James Sudbury and the officer that found the shoe that led to the discovery of the bodies, Steve Jones, felt that the manner in which the boys had been killed suggested cult overtones and satanic rituals. The main driver for this theory was the multiple slash wounds, the castration of Christopher Byers and the way the boys had been bound. Due to this theory, an initial suspect came to light, Damien Eccles. Damien was a bit of a metalhead and interested in the alternative lifestyle and the occult. To the police in West Memphis, this was seen as satanic worship, due to the city being very Christian and located in the Bible Belt. Steve Jones in particular felt that Damien was capable of killing and held an almost frantic pursuit of him. Damien, who was 18 at the time, was known to police as he had been arrested for vandalism and shoplifting and was known for being alternative and this did not settle well with the local police. On May the 7th, two days after the bodies had been found, police questioned Damien in connection with the murders. They requested he take a polygraph test to clear his name. Damien reluctantly agrees to this and takes the test. The results from the polygraph show Damien is being deceptive to the questions and this just further fuels police interest in him. On May the 9th, police carry out a further interview of Damien and question his knowledge of the crimes. Damien lands himself in a lot of trouble when he reveals a shocking detail. He tells the police that he knows that one of the boys had wounds inflicted on his genitals. This was information that was not released publicly and something that the police felt could only be known by someone involved with the killings. Police at this point are certain they have their man. But other than the polygraph showing deception and the fact that Damien knew of sensitive case details, they didn't have too much to go on. So Damien was released from custody. However, police focus the investigation on Damien, interviewing him several times over the course of a month, but they get no closer to making an arrest. Jesse Miss Kelly was a 17-year-old at the time who suffered from a low IQ that put him borderline intellectually functioning. Jesse was identified as a person of interest to police after testimony from Vicky Hutchison, who claimed that she'd been at a cult meeting with Damien and Jesse. Due to the police interest in Damien and the fact that Jesse was close to him and had been involved in the cult, it made Jesse an extreme person of interest to the police. On June 3rd, police interrogated Jesse in connection with the murders. What is surprising about this is that as Jesse was only 17 years old, he was a minor and was interrogated alone with no family or a lawyer. Jesse's father gave permission for Jesse to go with the police, but claims to have not given permission for the police to interrogate him. Jesse was interrogated for around 12 hours, although strangely, only 46 minutes of the 12-hour interrogation was recorded. At 2.44pm on June 3rd, Jesse changes the course of the case when he confesses to murdering the three young boys. 
In his confession, Jesse claims that his friend Jason Baldwin asked Jesse to come along to West Memphis with him and Damien. This was on the night before the boys were murdered. He claimed he had been in a cult with Jason and Damien for around three months, where they would practice satanic rituals that had been escalating, including killing dogs and engaging in orgies. According to the confession, Damien had been watching the three boys for a long time and had chosen them as the cult's first human sacrifice. He revealed to the police that the murder weapon had been a long folding knife and they had beat, slashed and raped the three boys before mutilating them, tying them up and throwing them into the water. Following the confession, Jesse was placed under arrest but quickly recanted his confession and claimed that he was being coerced into making the confession by the police. He claimed that he felt pressured and intimidated into confessing and that the police had threatened him. Due to only 46 minutes of the 12-hour interrogation being recorded, it is unknown what tactics the police used and how freely Jesse confessed. It is notable that during the recorded confession, Jesse states that he is scared of the police. Police quickly arrest Damien and Jason for the murder of the three boys based on the confession of Jesse. On February 17th, 1994, Jesse is interviewed once again by the police as the prosecution seeks to build a stronger case against the suspects. This time Jesse has a lawyer present, Dan Stidham, who advises Jesse not to say anything to the police. Jesse, however, does not take the advice and delivers a second confession to the police, detailing how Damien and Jesse, along with him, had attacked the boys. The lawyer Dan Stidham remained present throughout the second confession and was critical of how the police carried out the interview, saying that they had made major errors and misconceptions throughout the interview to lead to Jesse's confession. Due to the dubiety around the confessions, they were challenged in court and it took until 1996 for a ruling to be delivered. The Arkansas Supreme Court ruled that Jesse's confession was voluntary and that he had fully understood the Miranda rights that the police had read to him and the consequences for his confession. When the cases went to trial in 1994, Jesse was tried separately while Damien and Jason were tried together. Due to the Bruton rule, Jesse's confession could not be used against Damien and Jason. All three of the defendants entered a plea of not guilty. At Jesse's trial, the defence called Richard Ofshay, who is an expert in false confessions and police coercion. Mr Ofshay examined the recording from Jesse's interrogation and testified that the techniques used by the police were an example of classic police coercion. The defence based its case on proving that the police had coerced the confession from Jesse. They further supported this by highlighting inconsistencies between the confession and reality, such as when Jesse confessed to seeing Damien rape the boys, while there was no evidence of rape noted during the autopsy. The defence did not succeed, however, and a jury found Jesse Miss Kelly guilty of one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder. For these crimes, the court sentenced him to life plus 40 years in prison. Jesse appealed this conviction, however, the Arkansas Supreme Court 
affirmed the conviction. Three weeks after Jesse's case had been heard, Damien and Jason's trial commenced. The prosecution focused their case on proving that Damien and Jason were guilty of carrying out satanic ritual killings. They called an expert witness, Dale Griffiths, who was a specialist in the occult. He explained his reasoning on why the murder of the three boys was clearly satanic and highlighted the connections between Damien and Jason to satanic rituals. The prosecution also pointed to the fact that Damien knew details about the case that were not public knowledge, such as the knowledge that Christopher Byers had his genitals mutilated. The defence claimed the knowledge came from a leak from the police department that had quickly become local knowledge. Like in Jesse's case, the defence failed and the jury found Damien and Jason guilty of three counts of murder. The court sentenced Jason to life in prison and due to the satanic elements, they sentenced Damien to a far graver sentence, the death penalty. In May 1994, all three defendants appealed against their convictions. However, they were unsuccessful. Over the years, while Jesse, Damien and Jason were in prison, details started to emerge that would turn the case on its head. The earliest of these was in 1994. The story of the West Memphis Three had shocked the nation and public interest was high. A documentary was filmed that explored the case. This documentary was called Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills. During filming, they interviewed John Mark Byers, who was Christopher Byers' adopted father. Following the interview, John gave the cameraman a folding hunting knife. The reason why he did this was unclear. However, it could have been as simple as a present to the cameraman. Sometime later, the cameraman noticed some dried blood on the blade. He reported this straight away to his bosses at the HBO who ordered him to take it straight to the West Memphis police. John Byers was questioned by the police regarding the knife and claimed he had no idea how the blood got there and that he had never used it. Lab analysis of the knife showed that the blood matched the blood type of both John and Christopher Byers. They were, however, unable to determine anything further from the blood. John Byers then claimed that he had accidentally cut his thumb on the knife and that may be where the blood came from. Strangely, the police started to guide John on how the blood may have got onto the knife, asking if he could have possibly left the knife out and laying around so that Christopher could have got a hold of it. John agreed that this was possible, and it soon became his official story. He did, however, agree to set a polygraph test and passed it. However, at the time, he was on several psychoactive prescription medications, that could reportedly have affected the accuracy of the polygraph test. A detail that was not revealed in the autopsy report was that Steve Branch had bite marks on his forehead. The defence arranged for this to be examined further as it had not been discussed in court. Jesse, Damien and Jason submitted dental imprints for analysis against the bite marks found on Steve's head. No match was found. This sparked some hope for the defence team and they wanted to check the teeth of John Byers for a match. However, in 1997, John Byers had his teeth removed. 
He claimed he had been suffering from numerous dental issues and had made the decision to have them removed. In October 2003, Vicky Hutchison was interviewed by the Arkansas Time where she made a shocking claim. She claimed that she had lied to the police and she went on to claim that the police had threatened to take away her child if she had not assisted in getting Jesse, Damien and Jason arrested. She added further bizarre details, such as claiming the police had taped photos of the suspects at dartboards and were throwing darts at it. The evidence was starting to mount that the police department of West Memphis did hold some sort of grudge against the three suspects. A further twist to the case occurred in 2007, where DNA testing technology had advanced significantly since 1993. DNA that was collected from the scene was re-examined using modern testing methods. No DNA found was matched to Jesse, Damien or Jason. They did, however, find a hair that could have potentially come from a new suspect, Terry Hobbs. Terry Hobbs was Steve Branch's stepfather, and although there was a possible match, it was not a definitive match. The prosecution did not seem affected by the lack of DNA matches to the three suspects, stating, the state stands behind its convictions of Echoes and his co-defendants. Years later, in 2009, the spotlight would intensify on Terry Hobbs when Steve's mother, Pamela Hobbs, claimed that she found in Terry's nightstand a knife that belonged to Steve and that he treasured that knife as his father had given it to him. She had no idea how Terry came to have it. She would also advise that her sister had spotted Terry washing clothes, bed linen and curtains from Steve's room in the middle of the night shortly after the murders. The biggest twist in the case occurred in July 2008 when it was revealed that jury misconduct had occurred in the case of Damien and Jason. The jury foreman, Kent Arnold, had discussed the case with an attorney prior to the jury being requested to deliberate over the case details. Kent Arnold had lobbied hard for guilty verdicts to be given, sharing knowledge of inadmissible evidence with the other jurors. Later that same year, in September 2008, the lawyer who represented Jesse in court testified that the judge had been inappropriately communicating with the jurors during deliberations. The lawyer testified that he had overheard the judge and jury foreman have lunch together during deliberations. Where the foreman had told the judge that the jury had almost reached a decision and the judge responded saying, you'll need more food when you come back for sentencing, implying that a guilty verdict would be delivered. The foreman responded, what would happen if the defendant was acquitted? To this, the judge stayed quiet and closed the door. A request for a retrial was lodged citing the lack of DNA evidence linking the three suspects and the actual DNA evidence linking Terry Hobbs to the crime scene. In September 2008, the request was denied, claiming that the evidence was inconclusive. This was appealed yet again to the Arkansas Supreme Court, which heard the case on September 30th, 2010. On November 4th, 2010, the court ordered that a judge review the new evidence to see if it would exonerate the three and to also review the allegations of jury misconduct. The retrial, however, was not required 
the state decided to enter a long negotiation with the defence team of the three. On August 19th, 2011, a plea deal was agreed and Jesse, Damien and Jason were released from prison. As part of the plea deal, they agreed to enter an Alford plea. This was very rare and many pleaded guilty while still protesting their innocence. It is used in cases where the prosecution has evidence linking them to the case, but where there is also significant doubt about their guilt. Due to the Alford plea, the judge sentenced them to time served and gave them a suspended sentence of 10 years. This brought to a close one of the most unusual legal cases in American history. The three men had, however, been in prison for 17 years at this point, and this is time they will never get back if in fact they are innocent. This is a very thought-provoking case and one where the true victims still don't have justice. This leaves the biggest question of them all. Who murdered Christopher Byers, Steve Branch and Michael Moore? Have Jesse, Damien and Jason got away with murder? Was Terry Hobbs or John Byers involved? Or has a killer completely evaded police and has been walking the streets completely out of the spotlight. To this day, we do not know for definite who carried out these horrific murders. We can only hope that one day justice is achieved for the three young boys who lost their lives. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the review of this interesting and thought-provoking case. Please follow the podcast at CrimeTimeCast on Twitter, and voice your opinion on who you think carried out the murders. I hope the quality of today's episode was good, as I have recently invested in a new mic to give you all the best experience. I hope we can continue to grow the podcast together, and please support the podcast by reviewing, sharing, and listening to the other episodes on The Dating Game Killer and The Beast of Birkinshaw. These are available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Once again, thank you so much for listening and I am really interested in hearing your opinions on the case. Who was it that killed the three young boys in West Memphis, Arkansas? I appreciate you all and stay tuned for more episodes of the Crime Time Podcast.